0: Hi, I'm Andrew Child and welcome to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast, a companion piece to the Routledge Press publication, 50 Key Stage Musicals, which is available for purchase by going to Routledge.com or clicking the link below in today's show description. Today's episode focuses on Chapter 14, West Side Story. And with us today is Boston-based theater artist, Carla Mirabal Rodriguez. Carla Mirabal Rodriguez is a Boston-based actor, director, and producer originally from San Juan, Puerto Rico. She has worked with theater companies such as Central Square Theater, Boston Playwrights Theater, Company One, Teatro Chelsea, and is the artistic assistant at The Huntington. Recent credits include Macbeth, Temporary, and Romeo and Juliet. She holds a BA in Theater Performance from Northeastern University. Carla, thank you so much for chatting with me today.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yeah, so I'd love to dive right in and sort of ask the big question, uh, not to say, you know, why are you here today? What are you doing? But I would love to know, as a Puerto Rican theater artist, what do you have to say about West Side Story? What is your connection with the show in question, West Side Story?
3: Oh my gosh. How much time do you have? (laughs) Um, (laughs) no, no. Well, of course I would say it started early, right? Quote unquote early. Mm -hmm. Right. I heard about West side story right around the beginning of when I really started getting into theater and seeking out, um, like all these movie musicals and things to see. Um, Mm. when I was around, I don't know, after Les Mis came out, (laughs) the Les Mis movie, um, but I never, I don't think I ever watched it until I was already in college. I, th- for okay. some reason, I probably couldn't find it. But I knew mm. I had known about West Side Story anyway. Um, it's just the minute you hear about anything theater and you are Puerto Rican, you know about West Side Story. Um, mm. It's kind of the first thing to come up. But I think the, like, not to start on a down note, but the, no, like first experience I had with West Side Story was actually my first audition in the United States when I came to audition for universities. And in my very first audition, which happened to be like this group audition setting, um, Mm. as if auditions aren't stressful enough. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, It was this group audition setting and the person auditioning who must have been something, a professor or something in that college was looking at my resume and she said oh you're puerto rican and mm. then said something along the lines of do you want to live in america like very in the Ooh. like tone of the america song from west side story okay and i was just like what do you do with that <laughs> what right. do you do right when you, are, when you are confronted with that it was a li- it was pretty unexpected and it's not like i had any in that moment any like bad Feelings about West Side Story or anything it Mm -hmm. was just a little like I don't know that that's the way I want to be identified
0: (laughs) right I mean it would be one thing if you were to say I was you know when people saw on my resume that I'm from Puerto Rico that people are asking have you ever been in West Side Story have you ever seen it it's like another level to sort of (laughs) do a joke from West Side Story
3: it's 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 kind of wild to just have this like right? This like theater professional who was, mm-hmm. uh, who she, she was a white woman mm-hmm. say to like sing this song at me. Well, when I'm about to audition for a program.
2: Mm. Um,
3: so that was like, kind of like a defining experience for what it, it gave me an idea of what, how West Side Story has defined what Puerto Rican is in American mm. theater.
0: Okay. And so, um, do you think was that experience an anomaly or when you are meeting people who are working in theater, is their mind immediately saying, oh, like West Side Story?
3: It it hasn't happened to such an extreme level. OK, um, but it comes up like West Side Story does come up. I. Mm. Yeah, it really is just, I mean, of course, now there's, like, a couple more things, right? Now there's In the Heights, um, there is, there are more writers or more Latina voices in the mix, or more Puerto Rican voices in the mix, but Mm -hmm. still, the thing that is, like, very well known is West Side Story, and the thing that you quickly learn is that everybody has an opinion about it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Every. Puerto Ricans like there is no agreement like there are people who hate it there are people who love it Mm. um and then there's the nuance and I like to think that I mostly live in the nuance but then again I it's not like I actively try to make an active effort (laughs) to participate in West Side Story either
2: okay
0: so but you have seen or you're familiar with the original movie version
3: Yes. Okay. Yes. And I, I haven't seen it in a while, but that's
0: okay. Do you remember like, what is your response to that? What are your feelings that come up with that movie or what was your response at that time?
3: So the first thing is Rita Moreno being an icon. I just mm. have to say like, she is, she is truly so inspiring. And I watched her documentary recently, which uh-huh. I just thought was amazing is just to see, In that sense of like, oh, this was her first real role. This was the first time she got to play a real person Mm. rather than just essentially being like a sexy Latina prop. Right. Which is what she had been interpreted as before.
0: Or a sexy just non-white prop you know because it feels yes because like she, she was
3: not always latina it's right true. right it it's was just true. like
0: well you're not white so we're gonna you're gonna be so siamese you're gonna be, you're ethnic, gonna be yeah whatever quote unquote. we need um
2: yeah
0: but so seeing her in anita and knowing that she is actually from puerto rico is that is that something that sort of brings you into like you said some people can sit in the nuance with West Side Story. Was that something that kind of did that for you?
3: Yeah. I mean, that's like the first thing about it that drew me in knowing that she was in that because I knew who Rita Moreno, like, okay. As like an aspiring Puerto Rican actress, mm-hmm. theater maker growing up, I knew who Rita Moreno was, mm-hmm. but I hadn't really seen her in much. Like she just, it's just the kind of way that you like, she has celebrity status, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I hadn't really seen her until I watched the actual film. Okay. Um, so I would say she was like definitely the thing that drew me in. And then the thing that stopped me from watching it many times, it did take me a second to get through it,
2: mm-hmm.
3: was the fact that nobody else on it was not only they weren't Puerto Rican, they weren't Latino.
2: Right. Latina, okay.
3: Latinx, period. Mm-hmm. Like it was just... A lot of brown face, including Rita Moreno, who they also like they darkened her skin tone to make her seem Mm. more like what was seen as the stereotypical Puerto Rican. Um, So that definitely has to be acknowledged. It has a lot of the movie has a lot of issues. (laughs) Um, Yeah,
0: no, to to say the least. (laughs) So would you say because now we have. New adaptation, sort of a remake of the movie, um, if you will. And while I still think there's a lot we can discuss there, um, the issue you just hit upon uh is no longer as present, is no longer as prevalent because they aren't actors in brown face playing different roles. They are yeah. uh Latinx actors, they are Puerto Rican performers. Um, do you think, does that solve all the problems in West Side Story and this movie gets a gold star?
3: Absolutely not. Okay. Um, I will say that is one thing, and that I am very glad to see. I am very glad to see all this um, new and established Latina ta- talent being uplifted. I love that. Mm. What I don't love is how it is every what I don't love is that the people behind the scenes are so they're also white Mm -hmm. and male usually. Mm -hmm. So we've got, right. Tony Kushner Mm -hmm. adapting the book. We've got Steven Spielberg directing. Um, and then of course Sondheim wrote the music Bernstein Sondheim wrote the lyrics Bernstein wrote the music. Mm -hmm. We know this. Um, so I would say that also causes a disconnect and while i have not actually seen the remake mm-hmm. i have been reading a lot <laughs> from okay specifically puerto rican um theater makers puerto rican filmmakers and mm. scholars saying and just just puerto rican people offering their opinions on like why they like the film or why they didn't like the new film
0: right yeah yeah, yeah. and um, is there any sense of consensus or are you leaning more toward any arguments for or against enjoying or even seeing the movie?
3: Hmm. I would say I'm probably just leaning against it because of that, because I, I know this happens all the time, but I just see this huge budget film Mm-hmm. And it is still, but it is still, you, there are still things about it that you, well, they could have, but they didn't change. So in the end, in this story, the Puerto Ricans are always going to be the antagonists. The, the sharks are always going to be seen as the antagonists. That is the way mm-hmm. the story is written. And that was not changed for the new movie, mm-hmm. um, even if a little bit more nuance was thrown in there. And this, this has been something that I have been seeing crop up in articles. Mm -hmm. Um, of like yes you can solve these sort of like surface level problems which of course were huge problems right but in the end what is the benefit of reviving this story this movie this iconic movie that really defined in not just the theater space but just culturally defined for the world what puerto ricans were mm. um, and what puerto ricans look like what puerto ricans sound like what puerto ricans are like and that painted a very violent image um mm. which coming from this place like right i'm puerto rican i grew up there mm. i my whole family is there i moved here when i was 18 to go to college um so i, I very much am still like home is puerto rico right okay so, seeing that, and even just hearing the words like, let it sink back in the ocean, like that, that hurts. <laughs> that is mm. hearing those things and knowing that they weren't, this is not like a Puerto Rican critiquing Puerto Rico. Like, this was a white person right. who wrote this. Putting and words you,
0: in the Puerto Rican characters' mouths.
3: And then when you add, the lens of colonialism onto it when you add the fact that you know steven spielberg had said that he wanted to revive this movie because he wanted to draw attention to the situation at the u.s mexico border but mm. puerto ricans are u.s citizens mm-hmm. like every you puerto rico is a u.s territory but if you ask a puerto rican they're more likely to call it a colony or at least okay. let me not speak for all puerto ricans if you ask me mm-hmm. <laughs> I would call it a colony because that is very much the way it feels and the way a lot of laws and rules and boards are imposed upon us. Mm. So people, what isn't taught what, or at least I don't recall being talked about in the movie. The reason they migrated was because of colonial reasons.
2: Right. Right.
3: And so it it kind of fails and I can't speak for the new movie, of course, but it kind Mm. of fails to represent that aspect of it all.
2: Mm.
0: So I'm curious, because not only do we have two very popular movie adaptations, um, we also have, you know, there was a recent Broadway revival that sort of re-envisioned the whole thing, pared it down, Ivo Van Hove. Uh, shortly before that, Arthur Lawrence uh, came in and directed a Broadway revival that Lynn manuel came in and rewrote some of the libretto for. Um, we, at the Bernstein Centennial, we saw everyone around the country sort of engaging with these conversations like, does Maria have to be sung by a Puerto Rican performer if we're just doing the songs out of context, you know? And other conversations like that. So it really does feel like West Side Story is still popular, is still being programmed, is still being seen. I'm curious because you've worked as a performer, you've worked as a director, you also work in an administrative capacity with different theaters. What would you say to an eager producer who's saying, I'm going to revive West Side Story? in the season, uh, in 2022?
3: Well, I would, my first question would be why, Mm -hmm. right. Why, why this specific piece other than, you know, if the answer is going to be money, that's to me, that's going to be disappointing. Mm. Even though I do, I do understand that it is something that will likely sell very well.
2: Okay. Um,
3: especially right now with the film, like this is something that I'm sure, like I'm sure we're going to start seeing even more revivals crop up Mm. now that the film just came out. Um, So that would be my first question. Then my other question, my next follow-up question would be, can you program something if you want, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe their mission isn't (laughs) to Uh accurately represent Puerto Ricans, but I would say, would you consider maybe doing a play by, an actual Latina person, like an actual mm. Latina playwright and putting those funds towards that because there are so many amazing ones. Um, and mm-hmm. the thing that is still really missing are multiple Latina perspectives. Mm. And then if they say, we really want to do a musical that will sell tickets, I'll say, okay, do In the Heights, you know?
0: <laughs> okay. Would you Would you say that In the Heights is not just from a commercial standpoint, but from the standpoint of representation, from the standpoint of equity, from the standpoint artistically, is in the Heights, would you say, a worthy counterpoint to the portrayal of Puerto Ricans in West Side Story?
3: I would say it's definitely much more generous. Um, And I one of the reasons I'm in theater is because my high school did a production of In the Heights and it was the first time I wasn't in it which is still a regret to this day that I did an audition but I saw it and it was the first time I was hearing this music and I was like this is music that is home to me like this is and thinking that this could possibly be seen on a Broadway stage and that people were actually experiencing this and enjoying it and I was just thinking this this feels like me like this is something that is so familiar to me and it so it hits me so deep Um, Mm. and I would see these characters on the stage and I would think these are real people I know these people Mm. and there's just such a depth to them and such there's more nuance there and there's more there's more types of people rather than the way I think West Side Story really plays to stereotypes, Mm -hmm. I think In the Heights offers more perspectives. No piece of, this is the thing that I deeply believe, no piece is ever going to be perfect, which is why we need more representation because when it becomes that we are putting all of our eggs in one basket, like we only have this one thing Mm -hmm. to represent us, which was the thing with West Side Story for so long. If we only have this one thing that we can point to and say, there we are, not everybody's going to be there. Mm. It's impossible for one thing to A, be perfect and B, like encompass the entirety of what in the case of In the Heights, it means to to be a Latino in New York.
0: Mm. I'm curious when you compare In the Heights to West Side Story, How much of that nuance, how much of that familiarity you felt for the characters do you think can we chalk up to, well, it came decades later and the art form had progressed? And how much do you feel like we can chalk up to there were actually Latinx people in control who were writing this story, who were writing this music, who were creating these characters, performing these characters? Would you say that one of those two or something else is more to credit for that big difference, the jump from West side to in the Heights.
3: Well, it's definitely both. And okay. is, right. Like that's, that's my immediate answer of, well, yes, definitely. In the U S in particular, something like in the Heights, well, would not have been funded in the times of West side story. Like it was, mm. I, I do see that in its time, it's depiction of even just Puerto Ricans as humans was seen as revolutionary. I do I do see mm. that for its time. But it is 2022, right? 2021 when the remake got made. I just, at this point, I think we can do better. I think we know better. I think more money should be going to Latina artists telling their own stories, mm-hmm. which is what In the Heights did and that's just one example right there are Mm -hmm. other there are other plays there are other latina creators um but yeah i mean that's what happens when you have that sort of that genuine perspective of Mm. you don't need to do research you don't you don't need to do research what it to understand what it means to just be a latina person living Mm. in the world like Maybe you should, because, Latino people aren't a monolith. (laughs) Um, So regardless, you probably should do some. But you are starting from a much more from a. I would say a much more genuine point of view to be able to tell the story.
0: Mm. So I'm I guess I'm a little bit curious. So in this book, we sort of have to jump if we're just looking at uh, Latino representation in theater. We have West Side Story, and then decades later, we come to In the Heights, and then just a few chapters later, we get to Hamilton. Um, and I'm curious, uh, is the answer to everything like bring in Lin Manuel? Because it seems to, <laughs> at a certain point, it does seem like Broadway and Disney and. I think at one point, like Star Wars, like they're all just saying, "Oh, we can fix this. Get, get Lin Manuel consulting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like get, get him rewriting or reworking or translating or something. Just get his name on it. Is that the solution, or is there something else that these theaters should be thinking about? Should be engaging with?
3: Listen, I love that Lin Manuel is getting so much work. I love it. I think he's wonderful. Um, Of course. He's just one human being, though. Mm. So I think we need more than that because, right, it's sort of like when you flip the narrative and you think like, like you would never just be like, oh, yeah, this one white person is like perfect for absolutely everything. Like, yes, every project they can they can just do that. And that's Mm -hmm. obviously not like a great example, but sort of the way to put it into context of yeah, he's one human. He's a great artist. Um, and Mm -hmm. he is truly opening so many doors and creating so much work for artists of color in general. Um, but it's a lot to put on one person and it, Mm -hmm. it definitely shouldn't be because, you know, everybody has their own perspective and there are still perspectives that are missing, especially in, within Latinx theater, like, and Latinx Filmmaking um, and mm. storytelling, like we are still, there are so many. There's so much, of course, nuance. I keep saying, Latinx people aren't a monolith. There are so many countries. There, are, there are white Latinos. There are indigenous Latinos. There are Afro-Latinos. And there, at su- certain points, especially when it comes to being in the U.S., some mm. perspectives get erased. And that often comes at the cost of the perspectives of Indigenous Latinx peoples and Afro-Latinx people.
0: Mm. So you sort of hit on that In the Heights was a formative experience for you. Yes. <laughs> uh, have you been able to see productions of it since high school? Or were you able to see the movie version or anything like that?
3: Yeah, yeah. I saw... I saw a version of it at Wheelock Family Theater okay. um, in Boston a few years ago. I don't, that was pre-pandemic. I right. don't remember when they did it, but it was definitely pre-pandemic. So I think that's the only other version I've been able to see live, okay. but I did see, um, I did see the movie. Yes.
0: And w- what did you think about that movie? Like, oh, was so that a good experience <laughs> or similar to seeing it at your high school or- it fell flat. What, what, where would you stand with that? Honestly, I just,
3: so much to say about it. But like in general, uh-huh. I, I did have that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I, I do love this. I, this is like the sounds of it, mm-hmm. just like the sounds, the, like the Spanish of it. It all feels so genuine and so. I just, I can't even explain, I feel it so deeply in my soul where I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel seen by this. Mm. Um, But recognizing that, not everybody felt that way. And this is also part of what I think we don't have nearly enough. (laughs) We don't Mm -hmm. have nearly enough representation. One piece cannot encompass all, but maybe a better job should have been done in terms of casting for that. Mm. Um, There's also one thing that like really one story that wasn't in the movie that really bothered me because it is in the original musical mm-hmm. is Nina's dad doesn't want Nina to date Benny specifically because Benny is black. And that mm-hmm. is, that is a plot point in the musical, but it is not, it has been taken out of the movie um, mm-hmm. and replaced with a different narrative. Um, of course there, ha- there were plenty of shifts between the two,
1: right. but that
3: was one thing that I, very much missed being acknowledged at least in the film mm. because there is so there is racism in Latinx countries that doesn't stop existing um and for that part of it to just not come into the movie like racism within Latinx communities rather than mm-hmm. like racism outside coming in okay um that was something that I definitely I and I I know a lot of other people also felt were missing from that narrative Mm. Um, that felt important to acknowledge, especially now.
0: Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we'll go back because you have these positive things that you said about in the heights, uh, feeling yeah. seen, feeling like there's there is some nuance, um, even if it didn't totally translate to the movie. I'm curious. Yes. I'm curious as a theater artist and ostensibly as someone who's engaging with theater as an audience member as well, are there performances you've seen or that you've been a part of? Are there artists whose work you really have gotten to admire, whether you've seen it or engaged with it in a different way? Or are there groups that you think are consistently putting forth work that you could say the same about, that you feel seen, that you feel like are bringing nuance to the table, or that are giving that level of depth to the representation, representation of, of the Latinx community.
3: Yes, yeah, sorry, you were cutting out of it, but I oh, think sorry. I got the gist of the question. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, definitely. So, um, first of all, a theater company that I worked with, um, and still am very close to Theatre Chelsea. They are based in Chelsea, Massachusetts, which is just right outside of boston um and chelsea has a very large immigrant community specifically from central america Mm -hmm. so they are doing some really incredible work while i was there we worked on a new play festival um Mm -hmm. specifically to highlight latina voices and latina playwrights and help to develop their work and they're actually going to be doing their first world premiere um, oh wow in the summer summer 2022 I don't have exact dates, but summer 2022. So that kind of thing is really exciting. We also worked with um, In The Margin, which is a theater company out in California that really works to highlight indigenous Latina voices um, Mm. and indigenous voices in general. So they're very wonderful um, because it's not all about me being seen. Like I my perspective should not be the only thing I see (laughs) is something I also deeply believe. Um, So they're wonderful Um, particular. There's so many artists. Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, Melinda Lopez has been a huge inspiration to me. She is a playwright based here in Boston. Mm -hmm. I have the pleasure of now working with her. Um, And she is so lovely.
0: And how is that getting to work with someone that you admire like Melinda Lopez, who is fabulous.
3: (laughs) it's the best.
0: Good. Um,
3: she's really, she's so wonderful. We I assistant directed her play. So, well, her play is Sonia Flew, but Teatro Chelsea did Sonia Se Fue, which is the Spanish translation of it. Mm. Um, and it it was actually a Zoom play. And so that even just getting to talk with her about it over the phone, um, she just like offers such incredible insight to things. And now I'm getting to work on another one of her plays. So I just truly,
2: mm.
3: I I love I love Melinda a lot. And I just think she has such a unique voice um, and an important voice. Um, Theater companies that are doing really right. Most of my knowledge lies in Boston because this is where I live. (laughs)
2: Right, right.
3: But I mean, of course, in New York, there's the Puerto Rican traveling theater. um, Like they've Mm -hmm. been around forever or not forever, but they are very well established um, and still very important to the community overall. Mm. Um. So they're really great. Oh my gosh, who else? I mean, they're just playwrights that I truly just so deeply ad- admire and hope to get the chance to work with. Like Jose Rivera is one of my favorite playwrights. Mm. Um, you have
0: a favorite play that you would love to work on by Rivera?
3: Oh my gosh, <laughs> I love Marisol because it's so kooky. Like Me it's too. so weird. I'm so <laughs> and glad I just you said that. I love I that play.
0: <laughs> Cool. Would you say, and this just sort of came to mind, um, these names that you're mentioning, these theaters that you're mentioning, would they also make your list if we were to say, there are listeners right now who are hearing this and saying, oh yeah, the only Latinx theater I'm familiar with is from this book. It's two Lin-Manuel musicals and West Side Story, if we qualify that as Latinx theater would these names, um, Jose Rivera, uh, Melinda Lopez, would those be a good starting place for people to be looking if they want to read more or see more Latinx theater?
3: I think so. Yeah, for sure. Um, And these are like, their plays are not hard to find. You can, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, they are you could likely go into like whatever your nearest bookstore is, check out their play section. Um, There's also, I would also say like in terms of not just plays, but reading Latin American writers, um, Mm. there is some like really incredible Latin American literature and most of it has been translated and is, or not most of it, but a lot of it, a lot of the most popular stuff has been translated and is available and they, it's so different. I mean, it's some, some of my favorite works. Um, Like, Isabel Allende is my favorite novelist and she writes a lot of magical realism and that's mm. so fun to look at um also like she wrote the book for in the heights and right. she's also she she is a playwright she has many plays out she also has a book out as well so even just looking at the people who like contributed to these works like you can definitely find more in their own mm. body of work
0: she has um Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe she did. Um, now I can't think of the name of it. She had a musical though. Um, Miss yes, You, Miss like, you Hell. like Hell. Were you able to ever see that anywhere?
3: I haven't. I, okay. oh, oh my, I got so close to directing a production of it once and then we couldn't get the rights. Oh, no. <laughs> but okay. I, I did. I have listened to the music. It's, it's, it's fun. It's deep. Mm. It's good. It's, it's
0: also, it's devastating. If folks listening want to give it a listen, I'd recommend it. Some of the songs, first of all, on a journey, it it, literally, it takes (laughs) you on a journey. journey. (laughs) There is actually a journey, but it does. Some of the songs just warning are so catchy. They'll never leave your head. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's it's just a, it's a devastating musical, I think. Um, I mean, ultimately there's a lot of uplift there's a lot of humor there's a lot of joy um but ultimately
3: yeah the overall arc (laughs) yeah
0: is not not a happy ending no spoilers but um yeah that's all really fabulous really good stuff uh so I'd also love to ask if we have any listeners because you know we've got people all over the spectrum listening to this show um if we have listeners who are in Puerto Rico, or are elsewhere in the world, thinking about coming to the United States to study theater, to work in theater, would you have anything that you would say to them? Any advice, any messages, anything?
3: Yeah, I would say, first of all, don't let people put you into a box. Don't let people define who you are and Mm -hmm. tell you what you should want to do Um, because that's something that I ran into quite a bit especially with typecasting and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. Um, so you know you're gonna have to fight for it but fight to do what you want to do and fight for the things that you want to do and then also the other thing I would say just in general remain curious remain so curious try things out just because you never really know I also came into my bachelor's like not knowing much beyond acting I came Mm -hmm. in very clearly set on I'm an actor and that is it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I don't do anything else and then I happened upon a directing class and then I was like I had a whole crisis where I was like wait am I a director (laughs) am I not an actor
2: Uh
3: um and then I was like why can't I be both why why couldn't I do both um and then cut forward like another year I'm like wait this producing thing (laughs) Mm. that's interesting that's a whole different perspective um that I never thought not that I never thought I would enjoy that. I just simply wasn't aware of. I didn't know what Mm. a producer did. (laughs) I I didn't know what that, how that job differed from like a stage manager. Like when I first started out, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Which is a
0: great place to be if you're looking up to and working with someone like Melinda Lopez, who as a playwright has, I believe a day Named after her in the city of Boston. She does. Um, but <laughs> Lopez Day. Also, every once in a while, you go and see a show in Boston and you open the program and it's, you know, featuring Melinda Lopez with, you know, a yeah. little asterisk, like proud member of Actors Equity, you know. Yeah. Um, And she's someone who, I don't know, I don't want to speak for her, but she epitomizes to me this ability to excel and succeed in multiple areas of this art form of this industry
3: oh yeah she is definitely an inspiration to me of oh yeah I can be more than one thing like mm. I don't because I you know the freelance life not to say it's hard the right. freelance life is so hard the um, freelance life
0: you're you have to be more than one thing you
2: know
3: <laughs> you have to be you really you really do you need a day job you mm-hmm. need but you need flexibility and you need to be able to wrap your head around your taxes. Um <laughs> so <laughs> there's all that kind of fun stuff, but I just like to me I was like I know that I want not just like a little more stability, I also wanted to be able to feel like I'm consistently making a mark on something and I'm not always moving from one thing to the next. Um mm which is also good it's all good and well this is like just speaking for myself mm-hmm. that part of me that wanted to like sort of like have an impact and have a voice it felt like I wasn't getting that need totally filled without having something like well Death or Chelsea and now the Huntington like where I get to have a more artistic voice and mm. be part of that producing side of things um that's great. all the while still loving to perform um still love directing mm. just all of the things <laughs> hopefully not all at once i <laughs> try okay. to not let it be all at once
0: okay yeah i don't know if melinda lopez has ever done that has done i don't know she might have if anyone <laughs> she probably
3: has. has if anyone has <laughs> oh you know, she definitely don't... has she was oh. she wrote mala um
0: oh you're right
3: and then she performed in it
0: <laughs> you're right. and that's when the city names a day after you when you do that successfully at a major regional theater they say listen you get a holiday because
3: (laughs) you deserve a day because she does she She really does
0: she does deserve a day read her work listeners check her out Melinda Lopez absolutely becoming Cuba Mala Mm.
3: she did an adaptation of Yerma a musical adaptation of Yerma oh my gosh another amazing person Mel um Melia Ben Susan, Melia Ben Susan, who is oh, the yeah. artistic director of Hartford Stage. Mm-hmm. Incredible. She's also great.
0: When, so now I'm curious, and I promise I'm not just doing that thing where it's like, let's go back to what we're supposed to be talking about. No, no, but no. But I no. genuinely am curious because now we've talked about some people who, when it came to mind when you mentioned becoming Cuba, if you look up images from, Melinda Lopez's Becoming Cuba when it was presented at the Huntington. It's possibly one of the most gorgeous stage designs that you'll ever see. Um, and I think, you know, credit where credit's due, Melinda does work frequently when she's at the Huntington with scenic designer Cameron Anderson, who has like fabulous vision. Um, but I think Melinda's texts just lend themselves to this extreme beauty. So you mentioned we were talking about Melinda Lopez and then you mentioned Melia Ben-Susan. Do you think when we're talking about names like this, if Melinda Lopez were to rewrite the book of West Side Story and Melia ben were to direct it, is there a world where this libretto or some snippet of this, some moment of this is salvageable and could become something with this kind of beauty and depth? I also promise that I don't necessarily think the answer is yes. So I'm open to whatever your thoughts are on that.
3: Yeah. Oh, man, that would be the case where I'm suddenly like, oh, do I want to work on? This? <laughs> <laughs> like, that would be the moment where I'm like, wait. Um, but I, I, I very much go back to it. And this is, again, nothing mm-hmm. against any like people particularly nothing against particularly Puerto Ricans Mm, (laughs) because I struggle with it because I'm like I think the music is actually like stunning Mm -hmm. I I do in fact think the music is great it's just really hard for me to like disconnect that from like my own experiences and like knowing how hard it is to like even just get your work seen and Mm. produced as a Latinx artist and I'm not even a playwright but you know It's hard. It's hard. And there's a lot of people out there trying to make it happen, and it's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And then seeing, like, this multi-million dollar (laughs) movie get made Mm. by, helmed by all these white folks, but also just what movie it is. Uh There are just some problems with it that I think are too integral to the story. Like, the fact that it is gangs. Like, if you Mm -hmm. take away the gang aspect, does it keep being West Side Story? right like, does it does it continue to do that um like if you take away that Gino kills Tony at the end th- mm-hmm. th- is it still is it still <laughs> West Side Story like right is it still all these things so that's when I just question, like right originally it is an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet which so I guess at one point right at what point are you just like all right forget Romeo and Juliet West Side Story. It's its own thing. Uh huh. But I, again, maybe somebody can wrap their head around it, but I'm not totally sure that I'm there yet. <laughs>
2: okay.
0: Yeah. Which is totally fine. We'll totally allow that. You got to work on, it was a bilingual production of yes. Romeo and Juliet. Um, could you shed a little light on what that looks like, what that process is like, what that production was
3: like? Oh my gosh. So it was outdoors. Let's start there. It was outdoors (laughs) in the summer of 2021 when it felt like we might be free of COVID, but Mm. then we weren't, (laughs) Um, but it was outdoors. I will say it was just such a lovely ensemble. Um, It really, really was like, I'm still very good friends with a lot of people I got to work with there. Um, But it was, it was definitely like trying to make it not be west side story <laughs> like trying okay. to just it was trying to just be like oh okay the families weren't necessarily separated by language mm-hmm. um so there were people although juliet did speak english juliet spoke english romeo spoke spanish okay um but there were part, people on the Capulet side who spoke Spanish and people on the Montague side who spoke English. So it was kind of like having and, more of a mix. And I would say okay. the like, goal of it was to just make it more accessible specifically to the community of Chelsea, which right. has so many um, Spanish speakers.
0: OK. Which you mentioned there is a huge community in Chelsea. Was that something conscious in the room, like we're not doing West Side Story, we're not going to be close to West Side Story, or is that just sort of in hindsight?
3: I don't think it was actually. I think we would get asked about it. Okay, but it wasn't like an attitude in the room. Like nobody came into it being like, "It's West Side Story." <laughs> um, okay, I think maybe we like talked about it at the beginning of the process. I was because I was assistant director on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we probably talked about it like when coming up with the concept of it and i mm. um, talking about design and all that kind of stuff but it wasn't once we hit the rehearsal room I don't recall it being like such a present thing
0: okay got it well thank you so much for making the time to chat with me today about West Side Story I really appreciate yeah. hearing your thoughts I,
3: <laughs> we went on such a tangent but I'm not I'm not mad about it
0: no me neither <laughs> I think this was fabulous so thank you so very much
3: so thank you for having me
2: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Next, I'm speaking with Caridad Savique. Caridad Savique won a 2012 OB for Lifetime Achievement. Savique has been a guest artist at the Traverse Theater in Edinburgh and the Royal Court Theater and has taught playwriting workshops at Payne's Plough Theatre in London and the U.S.-Cuba Writers' Conference in Havana. Savik sustains a career as a theatrical translator as well, mainly of the dramatic work of Federico García Lorca. She has received fellowships from the Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study and the California Arts Council. She has trained for four consecutive years with Maria Irene Fornés. Hello, Carrie I'm so happy you could be here today.
1: Hello, Andrew. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you. So let's dive right in. Can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with and your perceptions of West Side Story?
1: I mean, sure. I think that for a lot of people, this is maybe... I mean, it's a canonical musical, <laughs> uh, and, you know, my first encounter with it was with with the first film version, mm-hmm. uh, the 1961 version, um, seeing it, I think, on TV. It might have been on TV at some point or some okay. channel, um, and just being... I was captivated by the music, which is story. I think I'd heard, you know, I'd obviously had heard like somewhere and Maria and There's a Place for Us and, you know, in like Barbara Streisand recordings oh, and stuff nice. like that. You know, so I sort of knew it as a, like a pop culture phenomenon, and that it was based on Romeo and Juliet. And so I was like, oh, okay, but I'd never seen the film, so I saw the film. I remember on TV when I was, I don't know, as an adolescent, and and I was like, and I remember not. Not really liking it very much. I was just, but I couldn't articulate why. Do you know, I, I was a little bit like, um, oh, why does this have to happen to these characters? And why are the Puerto Rican characters being sacrificed continually throughout the film uh, in favor of, you know, upholding kind of a white power structure? Mm-hmm. And, and specifically, I would say, you know, interestingly, I think given the politics of the story, as it's represented in this iteration, so I'm not going to talk about Romeo and Juliet for a second, but in this iteration, so it's its, its own thing, um, is that I feel like the white working class is pitted against the uh, Puerto Rican working class in this film, and and in the middle of that, I think, is this other story, which is the aspirational white middle class, mm-hmm. um, and that actually, what's happening, I think, in the storytelling is that everybody's scrambling to be part of the white middle class, yeah. <laughs> and there's a kind of yeah. alignment with political whiteness that's happening uh, in the in just the narrative, like the structures of the narrative, uh, in terms and determines who gets to be sacrificed where, when, and how, and including you know um if we fast forward now to the recent film version um you know here's this new character called Valentina mm-hmm. uh played by Rita Moreno who at the end of the film um basically sacrifices Chino to the to the police right So her hands him in mm-hmm. um uh so up, re upholding uh uh that power structure um and of course you know I, i'm sure we've all seen that de- the mini debate on twitter <laughs> About, um, oh, Maria sleeps with Tony uh, after her brother is killed. Which, of course, is in the Shakespeare. It's also problematic in the Shakespeare, but um, <laughs> but um, but I think that in the given the politics of West Side Story, what happens is that it's a, it's again pos, positions Maria as someone who will do anything to kind of. Literally, literally, sleep with the white power structure, right? Uh, and so that that's and that you know my brother sacrificed who else is being sacrificed? You can argue that Anita is sort of sacrificed in the storytelling because she's assaulted. Um, so the brown bodies in the storytelling are kind of pushed aside in favor of, of the white or white or white assimilating bodies. Um, and uh, I find that you know obviously I find it incredibly problematic and. Uh, needless to say, and, and I also think the fact that it's the musical that for a lot of people, maybe, you know, like, okay, I'll phrase this this way, which is that if you're a Latin A person, Latin A, Latinx person, um, and you're moving through um, politically white spaces, invariably as an artist, you'll be like, West Side Story. <laughs> Uh-huh. Don't you just love it? You know what I mean. There's a kind of like you should, you're aligned with that because it was. I mean, truthfully, it was a, a mainstream film. The 1961 film is a mainstream film that mm-hmm. featured not all the not all the actors. There was a lot of brownface happening in that film, but um, but there were you know Vita Moreno. Like there were there was a kind of notion a a, a, a kind of bid to representation. And so for a lot of people that was like, oh, Puerto Ricans exist. <laughs> you know. Okay. And um and so, you know, and the music is not actually Puerto Rican. I mean, the music is like colonial. I mean, Bernstein is doing um uh Spanish uh kind of structures in the music. He's doing flamenco, pasodoble, like you know, and so but it somehow gets People so it it kind of I mean, the music is also reinforcing colonialism, which I think is fascinating. So, um, but that becomes sort of a reference point. Like we're like if you're a Latin person and an artist that that you can't not deal with <laughs> a West Side because it's just there and it's sitting there as a monolith. Um and I think that the opportunity of the film, the new film, was like, oh, what are they gonna do? <laughs> what are they- what are they right. going to do? <laughs> um, and so maybe I'll stop and let you kind of intervene.
0: No, no. This is, Did you feel like, what did they do? Did the new film respond to anything you've sort of touched on in a way that you thought progressed from the original movie or from the original libretto? Or did you feel like same problems are still there, maybe just in a different reframing
1: yeah i think the same problems are still there okay um with some cushioning around it right so Mm. oh we have um spanish some spanish spoken in the film but it's not translated Uh (laughs) in the subtitles boo hiss so again the language is kind of demoted right in terms it doesn't occupy the same hierarchical space is English um uh we have you know the Puerto Rican national anthem uh revolutionary version of the anthem is sung briefly uh but that's kind of like an easter egg like I think that you know most audiences wouldn't know that that's what's happening um there's like a mural and the first confrontation with the gang members uh which you know if you're looking at the mural. You know, it's not there for a very long time on frame, mm-hmm. but if you see it, it's kind of like calling back to um uh Puerto Rican leaders uh fighting for uh, independence on the island. Um so there's some, we've obviously the casting we we've we've mm-hmm. now have <laughs> Latino actors <laughs> playing those roles. Um with with I think addressing um you know after Latinidad, you know, in the casting. Which is really important, and I think that I think it's fascinating to look at the the politics of casting Rachel Zegler and Ariana DeBose because um, Rachel could be considered white passing uh, for some folks, and um, and of course she's the character that's climbing that's climbing the white ladder uh, in the film. Um, But I think what's what's and of course there's you know Chino is now like at the beginning of the film at least until other things happen, um, becomes, you know, is, a, is now a student and mm-hmm. is not initially a gang member and all of that. Um, but I, but I s- still feel that, you know, he, I mean, it's funny, you know, and I, I don't know what the legalities of the estate are in terms of making radical changes. Right. But I thought, oh, this is an incredible opportunity to actually change, change the ending, change that, you know, um, to actually do things that kind of really bust it open and not reinforce uh, the same narrative uh, upon these characters um, and give them a different kind of agency uh, and maybe have them recognize the traps that they're in. You know, I mean, the, the sort of white middle class aspirational trap um, is how they're being pitted against each other. You know, that power structure is actually what's determining this, I mean, one of the things that's determining, uh, besides supremacy is like, uh, my supremacy is this, this, kind of like you will, you know, you will fight each other for the crumbs, you know, to death mm-hmm. while, you know, everyone else is like the powers that be, the powers that be, the invisible powers that be are actually moving everything around, you know? And so I think that that is, I think slightly more illuminated in this film, uh, through some of the staging and, um, maybe in thinking about it, or maybe just time has caught up with it, you know. Mm-hmm. I do think that they amplify Tony quite a bit. His, his narrative gets kind of a little bit of boosting. Uh-huh. And I think that to that degree, I'm like, why? Okay,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, because it's like, you know, actually, first of all, I mean, I can't, I can't even begin with uh, Ansel or print. um um uh, I just can't. Uh, but, but I also I think that that actually hurts the film. Interestingly, I think Mm. to have uh, that storyline boosted because ah, it privileged, again, it privileges his storyline, you know, like why not boost somebody else's story? You know, like why not boost Anita's storyline more or or Bernardo's Mm. storyline more? Or, you know, like I I feel like so it it kind of, it weirdly, I mean, the film is very, you know, both films are super complicated. I think this film, because it's coming from Spielberg and Kushner. I think, it's exceptionally complicated in that regard because they're, they're both, I think, I can only assume, are aware of all these issues. You know, mm-hmm. this is me thinking the, the, the best of everyone. You know, right, I assume they're right. aware of these issues and therefore, oh, you can actually address them even further. Uh, instead of right now, what feels like a little bit of lip service is being paid, but not actually a full digging into, Um. Digging into the the problematics of of the story and how it resonates in it, and I think what hurts me more, you know, having you know Ariana, uh, I mean, obviously she's doing great work and she won the Oscar and uh, many other awards, and and for her to say like on national television, uh, we all aspire to play Anita, you know, that was like Mm -hmm. our dream role, and I was like, no. (laughs) Like, like, no, that should not be the role that you're aspiring to play. That should be, like, not the role that, like, all Latina actors are aspiring to play. Like, um, and so I think that by her saying that, she's kind of, like reinforcing that idea of like, see, this is the role I always wanted to play and therefore everyone else is always aspiring to this. And it's like, no, we need to like demolish all of that and like start over and like choose other stories. And plenty of them exist for one thing. We have plenty Mm -hmm. of writers, you know? So I think that an artist making work and um, yeah, so I, 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 uh, and of course, now with the awards and everything, I mean, then that film will now be part of the canon too, and right, <laughs> it'll just perpetuate itself. So I have obviously have issues, you know, but I still love listening to somewhere and tonight and <laughs> all those songs. Do you? Think, They're great songs
0: because the music is so beautiful, so iconic. Do you think is it worthwhile for someone somewhere to? attack this and go full on and restructure, replot, rewrite the book? Or do you think it's just like, we can move on, we can do something else now?
1: Yeah, I wonder, I mean, a part of me wishes that it could happen, okay. like just do a complete restructuring with that incredible score. Because um, why not? That would be fun. Uh, <laughs> as it just a dramatic project. Um, but I, I, I can't I can only imagine that it's probably legally not possible to do that. Mm. Uh, but then I also think we can move on and like it's yeah. it's there and it's been there and it's not gonna, it's never going to go away. Do you know what I mean? So right. so I think the, the effort needs to be in, in boosting new stories and and, you know, making sure they're heard and um, new narratives and new characters and stuff like that, not returning continually to the source of what has been a lot of pain for many people. Hmm.
0: Well, uh, one question that I did, I asked to Carla, because in this book, there's a chapter on West Side Story. And then decades later, we've got the chapter on In the Heights. um, And sort of in between and since then, do you have any other shows that you think Students of musical theater history, people who are interested in this book, in this podcast, any shows that put uh, Latine, Latinx people on stage or are involved with the creative process? Do you have shows that they should be checking out that they should be interested in?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, Zoot Suit. Are you guys doing a chapter on Zoot Suit?
0: No, no chapter on Zoot Suit. Do you want to talk about what? that a little bit? I know
1: what's happening? No, I mean, it's a music, you know, I think of it as a musical, you Uh know, um, maybe people think of it as a play with songs, you know, but uh, it certainly qualifies as a musical in my book. And um, yeah. And I think that that there should be, I'm actually surprised (laughs) that there aren't more uh, revivals of Zoot Suit. I don't, maybe it's because the cast is quite large, but that's true of other shows as well. Um, It's, it's, you know, of course it's, it's a, Oh, you know, this this notion of the universal is really fascinating because I story is seen as a universal uh thing, uh and uh and Zutsu is seen as a niche um, <laughs> a niche um, thing only about Chicano culture. Um when I when I also I think it's also like a universal story. You know what I mean? If we're gonna play the universal game, uh-huh. then I would say uh that's as universal as okay. and belongs alongside the West Side Stories of the world, right? So so I definitely would say Suit. I think there was also like a, you know, I don't know if there's even a recording of this show, but a a gazillion years ago, (laughs) I guess it feels like a gazillion years. It wasn't a gazillion years ago. It was like in the, uh, it might have been in the 90s, maybe early 2000s. No, maybe it was the 90s. There was a musical called, uh, I'm going to get the title butchered, so you might have to look it up, but it's something like, uh, five, five guys and Maria. Are, it's one of the first, like mid. It was done in New York. Uh-huh. Five names, five guys named Jose and Maria, or something like that. Um, okay. it was directed by Susanna Tubert. Mm-hmm. It was a commercial musical. It ran for, for a little while, um, uh, kind of in a commercial Midtown space, um. It was kind of like a very, very pre, like super pre, obviously, historically in the Heights. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was positioned as, um, you know, a commercial at Latine musical. Uh, okay. And it's never been revived.
2: Oh wow! <laughs> uh, it I, I've had that short run. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Five guys. I think it's like five guys named Jose and a girl named Maria. It's got like, you know, it's got like a funny title like that. Okay. Um, I think if you just look up five guys named Jose and Susana Tubert, it will come up in like yeah. archives from the New York Times or something. Mm. It was favorably reviewed. Okay. Um, it had an audience. Uh, it it never moved to Broadway, you know, but it but it did play Midtown. It was a Midtown show, and it was like a mid sized budget show, okay. um, and quite you know, in a way, significant. And I think kind of been erased from. <laughs> obviously, it's been kind of weirdly erased from history. Mm. Um, and Bring it back. Uh, and so so that show, I think, is worth looking at. There was also like a version of... Um, uh, Graciela Daniel did a piece around the music of Astor Piazzolla. Okay. Um, also in the 90s, a kind of dance theater, but with, with like songs um, uh, that played Lincoln Center. Oh wow, if memory serves, yeah it was like a Lincoln Center, you know this is like I feel like it's like the heyday like the heyday that will never come back, but it was <laughs> it was Lincoln Center and intar intar Hispanic American arts okay. theater, uh, which is a very super small company, right a budget size collaborated um they collaborated first on a on a musical version of Chronicle of a death foretold,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: is really interesting, and then they were they worked on this. Tango project with Graciela Daniel and the music of Piazzolla, Uh And it had a commercial run. Um, and then, um, you know, and then it's never been seen again. Um, so I think that there's something around digging into so, some of these p- shows that were at the beginning of like what some people call the first multicultural boom mm. in the U.S., uh, where there was like funding, all of a sudden suddenly there was funding for some uh-huh. things um, and, and interest. Right. Um, and to see, to see if there's to kind of trace those that genealogy a little bit mm. before in the Heights, because in the Heights didn't come out of nowhere actually. Right. Um, although it seems, you know, it sort of burst onto the scene in a very bold way, but uh, but there were like steps steps along the way to make that happen. Um, you know, and then to look at the work of, you know, Dolores Prida, I think, worked on a musical for a while um, that, uh, again, played kind of smaller venues. So I think to look at like the writers that were Working in Latinx spaces, that were are actually making musicals. And I will say that Repertorio Español, you know, in New York City, has been doing musicals, <laughs> has been mm-hmm. doing musicals for a while. Uh, you know, none of them have moved to Broadway, but they have been done. You know, and and they absolutely all Latinx, everything, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and it's sort of fascinating that they don't get uh, reviewed. Uh, you know. In the same way, with the same attention. Do you um, think when we talk do.
0: about this this first multicultural boom? Yeah. Do you think are we building up for another something like that? Just looking at sort of yeah. what is coming on the scene, what we are seeing as commercially viable sure. currently.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I think it's funny because I think there have been like I was. <laughs> Uh, like in the ni- in the 90s, so there was this period in like the mid 80s where suddenly there was money started to appear. Like, suddenly, and suddenly there were, right? I mean, there was also it had to do with like writers and artists that foundations and theaters were kind of like, oh, we should be promoting that, right? You know, so you get in like the early 90s, you start to get late 80s, early 90s, you get like. Jose Rivera's writing and mm. Eduardo Machado's writing and Citi Moraga's writing and Lynn Alvarez, you know, there there is a kind of extraordinary, you know, it does feel like a boom yeah. <laughs> of just artists that are making like really compelling, beautiful work that is getting produced, right? You know, so suddenly, and a lot of it was getting produced, not just in Latinx spaces, but also in um, historically white spaces. Um, and so... So suddenly there was this attention and a desire to nurture and develop artists, right? So so out of that, you get, like, all these development programs, like South Coast Rep had their program and Intar had theirs and, like, you know, exponential. Um, that Then the, all of that sort of died down and uh, when Nilo Cruz won the Pulitzer Prize. Okay. <laughs> um, literally that same year, like, a lot of those programs, like the South Coast Rep program, got shut down. Um, oh, wow. um, there was a kind of like mentality of, well, now that Nilo's won the Pulitzer, <laughs> we're done. Like we're sort of done developing, like we did our work, okay. you know. Uh, it, and this yeah. was coming from PWI. So so there was this feeling of like, check, we did that. Um, mm-hmm. While at the same time, Latin A companies are and were and still are scrambling for dollars. Like this, I think the irony of all of this is that you have uh, privileged white institutions getting funding to develop Latin artists, Latin a companies who have been historically developing artists and making work and producing work, getting less funding, you know, it gets kind of divided up. Right. And so, so you have like very little still, um, you have the same scramble for dollars with, um, Latin companies that you did in 1995. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, which is shameful, right? Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you have In the Heights and you have Hamilton and you have Encanto and you have, you know what I mean? Right. So, um, so it does feel like we're in a new, like, oh, this this could make money. <laughs> right. <laughs> this right. could make money. I like this, um yeah. I like this. This is good. Let's sell this. Um, we'll see. I mean, I, I think, you know, my my sort of hat is always that I, I'm slightly skeptical of everything. Um, mm-hmm. And partly because I feel like I keep wondering, okay, that's awesome. People are getting work and the work is being platformed and mm-hmm. reaching wide audiences. That's awesome. Uh, and maybe it means more work will happen. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, and more people will get jobs and all those things. Uh, and, be, and be, and be trusted, and be trusted to tell their stories, right? Uh, what I'm, what I'm f- skeptical of is um, a little bit, sometimes a lot, but a little bit about how the power is being held and what are the value systems behind those power structures that are uh, upholding the work. And and I think that 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 is obviously a much more complicated question around um, decadent capitalism and, right. and uh, political agendas uh, mm-hmm. that are tied to that. Uh, so, but I but I feel like that's where the thorn is. You know, I think, uh, and that that's going to take a while to dig dig out. Yeah, yeah, maybe forever. <laughs> mm. <laughs> forever. Yeah,
2: well-
0: fingers crossed (laughs) hopefully not but thank you so much for making time to chat with me today this was totally
1: fun i hope it was useful
0: absolutely
1: Mm.
0: absolutely and thank you listeners for joining us today please make sure to purchase a copy of 50 key stage musicals by visiting routledge.com or by clicking in today's show description if you want to learn more about west side story please also review the links in the below description I am Andrew Child, and thank you for listening to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast.
3: Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro
0: music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work